Hello and welcome to 2021. This year is gonna be a bright, bright, friendly year. Gonna be a good, good time this year. Happy New Year! And here we are in 2021. And they all said we wouldn't make it. Well, no one said that. Well, maybe a couple of people said it, but we made it and we did it. If you're, if you're new here to where I am in podcast land, you found yourself on my mind with Stefan Taylor, me being Stefan Taylor. And we just take a look at the world and then we just, we just look at it and talk about it and talk about all the things that are in the world and in my own world. And we just, just have a crack as um, us Australians like to say, have a crack, give it a go, you know, and that's what we do. That's what, well, that's what I do. Mainly it's me just talking to me, hanging out with me, talking about stuff. And it's, you know, it seems a bit um, self-indulgent and arrogant, but it's okay. I'm okay with it. Hence why I keep doing it. So I'm just okay with it. But um, yeah, you can also follow this podcast journey on my mind. Uh, It's called my mind podcast on Instagram with no vows. Go ahead and follow that. So there's some cool stuff on there. Not really. We're early days. We're early days. Very early days. We're in. We're definitely in the stage of trying to like work out how to how to do it. Or rather, I am because I don't really know how to. I'm struggling with the idea of the social marketing and trying to wrap my head around trying to do it i think the biggest thing that i know now is just being consistent and i think if i can consistently do an episode every week then i can consistently use instagram and i'm trying to only use instagram i don't want to overwhelm myself shout out instagram um yeah i'm trying to just focus on that because i'd rather do that a a certain chef told me that if you're going to do something, do it right. And that's what I'm trying to do now. Hence why I stopped recording in a car because it wasn't right. It was good to get the thoughts out and to kind of pave the way for what we're doing here. But yeah, you, if you want to do something, do it right. Which brings me to a very interesting story. I once worked with this guy. Uh, I think I spoke about him before. And he was just this crazy dude. He was just such an individualist. It's crazy, you know. Um, he was like, "Look, look, it is what it is." That was his saying. That was his like world famous, world renowned. Look, look, it is what it is. Look, he would say. I know he would say now. Look, twenty twenty one, still standing. Look, I've been around with the best. I've come back down. I'm back down on earth, and look at me go. I'm like Gabriel, Gabriel the archangel. I'm doing it. I'm doing things. It is what it is. And um, he was like a, a master of just doing strange things. Like he used to do this thing called fusion, like fusion cookery, which is like contemporary cookery where you, um, you take, um, like French and then you mix it with an Asian 
kind of theme like how like vietnamese cooking is how they got the french style bread but like the asian style cured meat and they got pate on them which is french you know they they take all these different um aspects of a culture and it and the taste and then they put their own spin on it and then put their thing in it so it makes a fusion like it fuses the food together to make one really really interesting dish or a really really good dish and um one of the one one of the things like he wrote this massive menu and it was like fusion confusion like there was just too much going on there was like this um you know, I can see it in my head, him describing it as well. He was like, look, man, look, you grill, you grill the salmon skin side down. You grill it. You do it traditionally grilled. You only seal one side. You know, you, you, you heat the rest of it under the salamander, right? So you get one, one color, one side. Look, look, it's good. And then you put it on a linguine, all right? And in the linguine is soy sauce, bacon, shallots, and a bit of cream on the bottom, on a bed. Of, of linguine, this, this salmon, this, the salmon goes on top. Look, look, it's good, man. It's good. It's a good thing. Look, all right, I've got another one, another one for you. So, all right, ready? Look, you, you get you get beef. You get a beef patty, and then you get you get some you get some, some mozzarella, and then you, you get a cube of mozzarella, and you put it inside the beef, and then you put another patty on top. Now, look, it's bullet beef. Look, I made it. I I made a new a new beef. It's called bullet beef. Look, it's good. It's good, man. Have a go. It was um it was a confusing time for that guy. But it was interesting. You know, you learn um you learn what not to do, which is a very important lesson in hospitality. Is excuse me, I'm a bit um congested. Um someone was mowing the lawn today. And it's really um, flared up my sinuses. So my nose is a bit on fire. My head as well. I've got this killer headache. Oh, Lord. It's it's a killer headache. You know those headaches that just don't go anywhere? They just kind of sit there and don't do anything. They don't cause you excruciating pains, but they don't go anywhere. They don't go away. So I'm hoping caffeine fixes it. Because I've already had some, uh, some Panadol and that. Anyway. Uh, what was I saying about him? I was saying about him. And, uh, so even though he like had these weird recipes and this weird way of doing things, he, um, (laughs) he, he still, um, he still, you know, he did it. He still, um, you still learn from that. You learn how not to speak to people, I guess as well, because you don't just aggressively attack people with your, it is what it is. Look, look, it's good. It's good, man. You know? Um, yeah, he was an interesting dude, but I won't dwell too much on him. I just wanted to, I don't know if, oh, another thing, right? So another thing, I think I told this one before, but I'll tell it anyway. It was, it was pretty funny. So um, if you've ever heard of like a confit, uh, it's, it's kind of like, you're slowly cooking or you're kind of slowly poaching something in like a fat. So like an oil or an olive oil or, um, excuse me, or duck fat or lamb fat or anything like that or something like that. So you're poaching something, you're slowly cooking it, uh, over a period of time in the oil and that's called confit. And we used to have this, um, duck, 
um, duck pizza and we used uh, confit duck Maryland. Generally with a confit, you would use a secondary cut, secondary being um, one with like a lot more fat and um, yeah, something you can, um, once it cooks, it breaks down, you know, so it, it pulls apart. Maryland's are good for it on the bone, especially because they, they get really soft on the bone, but they still stay nice and um, they hold their shape because of the bone in the middle. Uh, anyway, so when you commercially, when you buy meat, you, um, so sorry. So we had this comfy duck pizza and we always use the Marylands. We comfy the duck Marylands or, um, or just roasted them off and then pulled them. And that was the duck for the pizza. So, um, yeah. So when you buy meat, generally you, um, you buy it in a cry bag or like it's in a bag and it's got like one of the, um, kind of black foamy looking bin trays and there's a blood pack in there and the blood pack keeps the, it like soaks up the excess blood to keep the, the meat fresher. Cause generally what turns first is the meat rather than the actual meat. So sometimes when there's like that slime on it, it's, it's like the blood's gone bad. It's, oh. Yeah. So, um, and you, you generally use when you're comfy, you don't really use, um, like, um, like breasts, right? You wouldn't use a duck breast to confit. Not this guy. This guy, he did it. He confied the duck breast. And how he confied the duck breast is even more baffling considering how I've explained what a confit is. You know, you do it in oil. His, his comfy duck breast was just in the butcher's bags, like in the bags with the foam tray, with the blood pack, in an oven on steam <laughs> for two hours. And then you bring it out and, and that was it. And he was like, look, it's the same. Look, it's a comfy. It's a comfy man. Look, you just take it out. Get, get rid of this. He throws like the blood plaque, like get rid of this, throws the like bits of foam stuck to it. Gets, gets it. It still had a tag in there. That said 220 grams because you know they put the tag in there so it doesn't rub off. Look, it's good. It's still good, man. Look, just pull it apart. Look, easy. Just look, look. I'll solve everyone's problems. Look, just put it in here. And he puts it in this food processor <laughs> and just <laughs> blitzes it all up so it's like ground dark. And it literally looked like cat food. <laughs> and he was like, look, it's good. It's good. Look, we did it. Don't need to do that. Those Marylands, look, look, we'll just use up the old stuff. Look, it's good. It's all good, man. It's all good. So, um, anyway, it, it, uh, it got turned into something else. I'll have, you know, we used it for a little bit, but then when, uh, he had his untimely dismissal, or I think it was more mutual, actually. I think he left and he, yeah, he, he left or something like that. I can't really remember now. But I remember he left around the time of like one of the big holidays in a, um, I guess all over the world. Is the school year the same as like everywhere in, in the world? I don't know. Um, I think, yeah, anyway, so 
we generally got like a two week holiday, a three week holiday, then another two week and then like a big holiday, you know, like five or six weeks or whatever. And you left before one of the big ones, eh? And you, uh, we were just like, oh, well, what are you going to do? At least there's no more comfy um, duck breasts going around, which, you know, you take all of the bad from it and you, and you learn from it. You learn just like 2020. You take all that bad stuff and then you turn it into a positive stuff. That was like the point of the story is to tell you that no matter how bad it is, there's a bright side. And the bright side was after him, we got a really good uh, chef to replace him. Um, and we'd never been happier since, you know. And then there was lots of stories that got um, that were that were spoken about and 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 stuff, which is which is awesome. I think, um, yeah, I think fusion his fusion confusion is something that. A, not a lot, but well, I think a lot, a lot of chefs do struggle with that. Like they see the idea of being original and being creative, but it just gets really kind of obscured and lost. Like instead of doing things tra- the, the traditional way, they do like a, a, a fusion way where they try and, sorry, excuse me. Oh, so sorry. So sorry to my audience, but this is, it's really killing me. Um, my nose is not having a good time. I, I, I don't want to blow my nose either because that'd be offensive. I blow my nose quite loud. I blow my nose so hard. It feels like I'm about to like, you know, warn someone of an air raid. <laughs> That's how hard I blow my nose. I'm like a warning system on air raids. Um, yeah, a lot of chefs in Australia and worldwide, I would say, like they get this weird idea of trying to be original. So they try and do this weird fusion thing, which it just it just doesn't work out. Like there was um um there was like a Gordon Ramsay My Kitchen Rules no, my kitchen nightmare, sorry. And there was a guy in Spain and he's, it's like, he's, it's a, it's the episode where he does, they do the meat on the skewers and it looks like it is, he says it looks like a, a, a donkey's appendage. Um, and one of the dishes there is like chocolate prawns, which sounds horrible and probably tastes horrible as well. It's like trying to cash in on being unique and creative, but it's cashing on, it's cashing in it's trying to capitalize on something that you should go where the flavors work, not necessarily a, a, a chocolate and seafood. Like I just don't see it. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. I just have some coffee. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah. Excuse me. Which is, uh, it's, you can't, you can't, you just can't have like some things just don't go well together. Like bacon, and um, chocolate because it's like sweet, sweet savory. That's like a big flavor combination as well, like the salted caramel, you know. But that's been like eaten in America for years, so they already had the monopoly on the on the on the saltwater taffy and stuff like that. So you know they're okay with it. And over here, it's starting to come more prominent as well, which is good. It's um, pros and cons. So. Um, 
Yeah, so it's and this isn't the first time I'd personally seen chocolate in a savory, you know, like there are ones that work, like a good mate of mine does. He did a um a venison with a white chocolate sauce, and that was like he, he says it was all right. I, I never tasted it or seen it, but you know, he's a person that you can generally take his word on it. So if he says it's all right, then it's all right, that's fine. But I once worked at this place where it was a chocolate red wine jus. Now, everything of that should sound absurd, but wait, just wait till you hear how it was made. Because this is the this is the mind blowing thing, right? As a chef, and anyone that's in hospitality or knows a little bit about cooking knows that all of these things is crazy. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to make. You shouldn't try and do that kind of thing with. You shouldn't be able to make a chocolate jus, chocolate red wine jus, a chocolate savion like cab sav jus was called or something like that. And um, you shouldn't you shouldn't do it because it's just you just it just doesn't work. So the first time I seen it, I was working at this place, and he literally just got red wine jus, which you know he made a stock, but you know the he made his stock in a very not not a PC way. He used to make the stock and then leave it overnight and leave it for like days and days and days, but would like cut his vegetables really short. One thing in a, in a stock that you don't, you want to make sure the vegetables are nice and big. So they take longer to break down and they release more flavor. The more you cut something on a chopping board, the less you have to actually put in your sauce or in your stock, the less flavor it has, right? So there's going to be less flavor in a diced onion, a small dice than there is in a large dice. All right, because everything's got a sugar content and the sh- and that that kind of and and flavor, like well, the sugars, the flavor as well in like a lot of things. So as soon as you like cut something, like the the juice comes out and it disperses on the board, it goes into the air, it evaporates or whatever. But it, you know, if you just halve an onion and then put it in, or you you know you caramelize the onion on like a flat top or in a pan and then put it in the stock, it grants, it gives it more flavor. It gives it more of a flavor boost than it would if you just diced it really small. So anyway, so any stock, he would um, roast his bones. That's generally what you do. You roast the bones to get the color through the stock as well. That's what makes it dark. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Um, so so you make your stock with your roasted bones and then I, I don't really like to saute my vegetable anymore. I used to, but now like for me, I just don't see the point because you put all the vegetables, you saute the vegetables and then you put the bones on top. And by the time you get to the bottom, all the veg is stuck on the bottom because <laughs> you can't exactly stir a stock. It's not like you got in there with a big paddle and you're trying to stir it. You know, it doesn't make sense. So that doesn't work. And then I, I find you, you just break it. Just break it with your mitts, eh? Except an onion. Don't try and break an onion in half because you might, you will fail. Cut them, right? But your, your celery, your carrot, what else What else you want to put in there? Um, just 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 chuck it in, mulch it in, eh? Tops, peels, all of it, you know? It's all flavor. You strain it, eh? You're not going to eat it. You know, you just give them a good wash and then you chuck them in. Anyway, so that's how you make a stock. That's a very quick explanation on how to make a stock. 
he would, you know, do that, but then he would cut the vegetables really small. So, and then he would leave it for two or three days, which I think is too long. I, I like to do my beef stocks for about a day total cooking time. So, um, eight, I do it eight, 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 you know, so eight, 16, 24, I do it over uh, a cooking period. I don't just leave it on for three days. You know, it makes no sense. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's how I find I get the most out of my stocks, which is good for me. So he makes his, well, he made his, I don't know if he still cooks anymore. Who knows? Um, so, so he would make his stock that way. And then the end product would just be bitter. Because when you cook your stock too long, it just gets to a point where the bones just go really salty and your veg just goes bitter because there's nothing left to come out. So it all just starts to overcook and have that bitter taste. You ever burn something and it just tastes really bitter? That's what you, your stock can taste like if you, you have it on for too long, not, not controlled, you know? So anyway, he, he used to just make that. And then to make his, um, red wine jus, he would just put, um, what was it? It was something, it was like red wine in the Demi, which is like the, the sauce that's been strained off from the, um, from the jus with no bones or whatever. This is a really quick way of explaining it, by the way, it feels like you have to explain the processes of it. I'm sorry if it's a little bit boring, but you know, it's worth it. So, um, then you strain off to have your liquid. And then in that liquid, he would just get red currant jelly and he would just pour like wine in it. And then he would just cook it for another three days. So what's left is this really sticky, bitter, sweet, weird thing. And then he would just put it in like a, a little metal uh, container so it would stay hot during service times. And then he would just put like a couple of <laughs> a couple of chocolate, cho- dark chocolate things in there and just give it a whisk. Chocolate jus, done. Bingo, bango, bongo, done. I'm very important about um, jus uh, or stocks is straining the fat so you don't get the fat through the sauce, which he didn't do. So there was fat through the sauce. So it split. So it would have this layer of fat on top. You know, so that's how you make, that's how he made his chocolate jus this time. Okay. So then I, I was like, whatever, man, I, you know, I was just a pleb at that point. I was just like, you know, whatever gets me, I was just trying to go to places that would get me the most experience. And I could kind of learn as much as I could to take, uh, later on in my career, which I feel like I've done. And, um, so then I go work at this other place and, you know, he was, he was there. Long story short, he still worked there and he was still doing this chocolate jus. So I was like, um, how, how do you make it? And he says, well, I just get a pot of water. And I was like, all right, starting out the same as the last one making the jus. And he was like, I get, um, this, which is, um, he shows me this like big red tin and it says on it, beef booster. <laughs> and he's like, I put some of that in the water and I put half a bottle of red wine in it. And then I put chocolate in it and then I heat it up and I mix it. 
chocolate jus. <laughs> and to this day, it cracks me up. Just like how simple, how much effort he put in the first time. And then over the course of however long I'd worked for him, however long between like me working at another job to this job and how much knowledge I'd accumulated and gained. (laughs) He was just like, yep, you just buy it in. You just buy the powder, mix the powder with water, pour this wine in not even like a specific wine and then you just put chocolate in whisk done chocolate shoe so that's um i don't know well i'm i'm telling you this is the the confusing part is the um it's just how acceptable it like kind of became the whole fusion confusion thing or the the fusion the fusing of the food you know Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, you know. I did a I did a lamb dessert, um, but I did a lot of research into it before I even attempted it. You know, I tried to work it out how it would work on the plate um, to how I could try and how I could get it to the plate and then, you know, firstly how I can actually do it. And uh, interestingly enough, the the Chinese, I don't know if I've said it before, but the Chinese did like a, um, it's like a, it's like a pork fat fairy floss looking thing. So it looks like fairy floss. And I thought I'll just take that same concept and I'll um, turn it into a lamb one. Actually, and there was a, a dinner in Australia where a guy did, um, he did a lamb dessert as well. And I looked a lot into that article. It was for like this great big lamb conference, maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. And um, I ended up just like reading a little bit of the article. And funnily enough, his last name was Taylor as well. So shout out. Um, I can't remember your first name, mate. I'm very sorry. I do apologize. Um, But, you know, hey, look, us Taylor guys are into that lamb. Make a lamb any which way we can. I'll just hang on. Just have a bit of coffee. Hang on. So that was um, that was an interesting time. There's been plenty of other like fusion confusion things I've seen as well. I think the other one that I seen <laughs> was um, the um, the other things I've seen like trying to fuse um, kind of savory and sweet. I'm, I don't mind like savories as a dessert if they work well, but there was one that he, it was a, it was a candied beetroot and chocolate pie, which, and it had a beetroot ice cream. All right. So let that sink in and then I'll tell you how to make this monstrosity of a dessert. All right. You ready? So to make your beetroots, you just, you just get the tin beetroot. <laughs> and this is like a thing that was done commercially as well. So this has got, this is a dish that someone's specifically done to, to sell. You get your beetroots and then you just put some sugar in a pot, put the beetroots in and then put the, the tin in 
like the juice, the juices from the tin, you just pour that in until it's just covering and then you let it reduce till it gets thick and then you blitz it and then that's it. And then you've got your candied beetroot done. And then to make the ice cream, you just get the candied beetroot stuff and then you put it in to the vanilla ice cream and then you mix it and then that's vanilla, that's beetroot, candied beetroot ice cream done. You don't need to, you don't need to have a fancy ice cream maker. Nah, nah. It's not the first time I've seen ice cream used in like a way to make ice cream as well. Like it's very, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating when you know that there is a skill shortage for sure in like chefing and hospitality. You know that there is a skill shortage, but in the their knowledge and what they're trained in, they, they should know how to make ice cream. I mean, it's just, it's just sugar and cream and milk. That's all that's in ice cream. You make a, um, yeah, you just mix them together and then you, you freeze the thing and then you stir it frequently and that's it. What I'm pretty sure that's it. I um, I'm sorry. I'm just looking it up in case I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's no eggs in it. It's like it's just yeah, it's just milk and cream and sugar. That's it. You heat it to combine it, and then you put it in a tub, freeze it, mix it, and then it's frozen cream. That's what it is. Anyway, so you, you take, you take the, um, so now you've made your candy beetroot ice cream, all right? Now let's make the beetroot and chocolate tart, okay? So we're all very excited to do this. You can do this as like a little play-by-play as well. I'm not going to put the recipe up because it actually horrifies me to actually read it. But hey, I'll just have a sip of coffee so I can get through it. Um, so then... You get some chocolate ripple biscuits and you blitz them up and mix them with a little bit of butter. So then we've got our base. That's how we make our pie base for our beetroot and chocolate tart. We just use biscuits crushed up with a bit of butter, trade secret, put it into a a tart shell, a tart um, pan. And then here's the crazy part, right? We get some chocolate. Put that into, put that in a pot. We get some marshmallows. Put that in the pot as well with the chocolate, and then we put a little bit of cream in there, just so it doesn't stick to the bottom. All right, and then we're going to use the marshmallows as the setting agent for this, for this thing. Right, so we put the marshmallow in. We've got the chocolate in, the cream in. We might put a tiny bit of sugar, and then we put the the beetroot in and then we mix it all together until the marshmallows are melted and then we just pour it over the over our, our biscuit base let it set done look at that you've just made in five minutes i've just given you the key to a candied beetroot and chocolate pie which there's nothing remotely technical or skilled about it.
this is like what I'm saying about like a skill shortage. There is like uh, at least another three ways to do. I won't go into detail on how to do them, but there's another three ways to make that better and nicer. Well, maybe there's more. There's probably more. But what I'm saying is that a lot of guys, a lot of chefs have just taken like the easy way out. eh? have just gone, oh, I can, I can just get all these recipes from taste.com and I can just, I can just go on taste.com and I can just use these recipes and use them commercially, which I'm not against, but that kind of takes away the whole like uniqueism of being a chef and trying to be unique and stand out when all you've done is Google beetroot dessert. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've tried to pride myself and a lot of my friends as well. We all try and pride ourselves on being original, being like originators, you know, like saying, I learned that from him. I learned that from that guy. That guy showed me because he did it first, right? I didn't learn it from MasterChef or like My Kitchen Rules. You know what I mean? Like I learned it from someone who is willing to pass down the knowledge to me. And that's what hospitality is about. And that's what it should be about. It should be about passing down the knowledge person to person to person to person. Is giving what you know to the next generation, not holding the secrets like, you know, my auntie would take a garlic prawns recipe to a grave. It's not about that. It's about sharing the knowledge and giving it to other people and letting them know how to make ice cream, showing them how to make um, a chocolate shortbread, showing them how to make a ganache, showing them how to make how to use gelatin or chocolate as a setting agent instead of cheating and using marshmallows, you know, because marshmallows, like they affect your flavor as well. So essentially it's a, this, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, marshmallow chocolate beetroot pie. That's what it is. Anyway, we'll spend long on that a long time on talking about how much I don't like fusion confusion. We're going to talk about something else. Do you want to talk about something else? I'd love to talk about something else. But what would you want to talk about? Well, I could easily just talk to you. Talk to me. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to stay on food because I think, well, it's, you know, it's my job really to serve food and prepare foods. And I'm getting pretty good at it. You know, I've spent a long time doing it. Um... I think the best way to have any food, and it might just be my kind of Asian, like Thai influenced um, kind of upbringing, is just like put an egg on it. Don't you think? I put eggs on everything. My wife made like a taco mince for like tacos or whatever. And I came home, I had it on toast, and then I fried an egg on each bit of toast that I had with it. So I had like my Australian white bread with my Mexican meat with my fried egg. And it's not like your typical fried egg. Like it's an egg that's like shallow fried in oil because that's how you have your eggs. Sunny side up, 
runny and you have it just like, you know, when like you put an egg in a pan and it just crackles and bubbles over and it's nice and crispy. That's how I like my eggs. I like Asian eggs. That's the best way to have eggs. Yeah. You don't cook them in sesame oil though. You don't do that because it burns. Yeah. And then it's not a nice egg. You can do it when you make it like, excuse me, like an omelette or something. You can use like the sesame oil to like, cause you're quickly cooking an omelette with a fried egg. You got to like flick the oil on top. That's the secret. That's what I learned from like my auntie's um, sister in Thailand is that like you put, when you're cooking it in the wok and like the eggs down there in like the big wok, the eggs like cooking in the oil and you just get a spoon and you flick the, you flick the oil just on top of the egg. So it cooks it. So you don't have to touch the egg. All you're going to do with the egg is put it in the wok or in your fry pan and then flick the hot oil on top of it and it cooks it and you take it out and you eat it. Mm. It's the best. I actually had some old Chinese today and I fried an egg on it. I actually steamed the egg, which is, um, it's not a new thing, but it's just nice. It just gives you like more protein as well. Like it just binds everything as well. Like makes a really nice sauce when you couldn't be bothered, you know, putting a sauce on. Really? Hmm. But I'm more, but if I go out for breakfast, I'm more of a poached egg guy because I just feel like no one can fry an egg like my auntie or how I fry an egg. So I'd rather just, <laughs> yeah. I once um, ate at, a, at an establishment I was working at and I got something and I said, oh, just fry an egg on it. Can I just have an egg? Can I have a fried egg on my meal? And what I got was this, um, what, what is it when you flip an egg and you flip over easy? It was over hard. <laughs> it was like, it was like, you know, when you overcook an egg and it tastes like chalk, that's what it was like. It was like I was eating a packet of chalk. It was horrible. It was like the yolk was split. It was all dismembered. And then from then on, I knew, oh gosh, this guy really like can't even cook an egg. <laughs> How is this guy even operating as a, as like a, um, as how's he even working in a kitchen? He can't fry an egg, you know, but you know, I tried to help him as much as I could. You know, that's all you can do. And you just try and give everybody the tools that they need to succeed. I talk about it a lot and I try to be practical about it when I'm, um, when I'm working, I feel like the team I've got now, like, um, I feel like I am teaching them as much as I can. Yeah. You always feel like you can teach more, but it's just hard. It's just hard when, you know, if they're willing to participate in the learning as well, excuse me. Cause I'm not a TAFE teacher. TAFE is like the, that's like the training school for all chefs in Australia, for all of you international listeners. I don't know if you, there are any, but if you are, shout out to you. Good on you for listening, hanging in there. Hanging in there, listen to me dribble on about hospitality. Because it's a bigger thing. Hospitality should, you know, it should be this. It's like where culture starts in cooking. Like the when you learn about a new culture, you generally learn through eating their food. You know what I mean? Like you don't just go and just start going, oh yeah, I want to know about, you know, the Chinese or the, 
the Thai king without eating like some pad thai. You know what I mean? Like you probably eat pad thai and go, oh, I wonder what else is Thai. What other kind of food they eat in Thailand? Or like you have like a brisket. You know, I wonder what else they eat in America, you know? So I, f- I feel like f- hospitality should be a bigger subject than it is today. And it should, and it's like the best starting point is like food. Everybody eats. Everybody. Everybody eats food. Everybody has food to a relatable level. Everyone has food in common, <laughs> whether they eat it through a straw through like a, a medicinal drip, you know, uh, you know, hospital food or airplane food or boat cruise food or, you know, fine dining, silver service, a la carte, at la brasserie, you know, at a little tapas joint up the coast. Like food is, and hospitality is like the first thing you come into contact when you're learning about a new culture or you're learning something new about, um, about, you know, your friends or your family even as well. Like you remember when you're a kid and you go over to someone's house and they're having like, um, well, I know this was the case for like my friends. When I would go to their house, they would have like, it would be like mash, greens and like a sausage (laughs) or a steak. You know what I mean? Like pretty average cooking. But then when like my friends would come to mine, you know, my auntie was eating like, you know, Thai green curries and like chicken soups with like the whole chicken in the soup, <laughs> you know, like egg, egg fried rice and like chicken legs and like all this like weird stuff, like tiger cry and all this cool stuff, you know? So like, I imagine like my friends going to my house, just getting like this cultural shock of like, Oh, what do you mean? People don't just eat like mash and sausages. <laughs> Do you mean there's other food? Like, what is what? What's rice? Why don't why 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 are you guys eating rice all the time? That was like the biggest staple in our house. Like, it wasn't you know chips and that. It was rice, fried rice or just rice. My auntie made um, it's what she always makes this fried rice. But sometimes, like any Asian, they get caught up in like weird fads. So like my auntie went through this weird phase of like putting like rock salt and things. <laughs> so you'd be eating your fried rice and you would just crunch and you think, oh, it's just a bit of bacon. And then you would just get this saltiness flavor and you'd literally bitten on a rock salt, a rock of salt. It was very not nice. And, you know, God love it. Cause she used to try and cook these um, kind of Australian dishes I remember she was cooking a quiche and she put like 30 eggs in this quiche. Eh? And that's all it was. I'm like in quiches, like um, a couple of different elements, but she just put eggs in it. Eh? She was, someone told her like, oh, there's eggs in quiche. And she was like, okay, I'm just going to make a quiche and I'll just put these eggs in it. Didn't make a pastry, didn't put like anything in it. It was literally just egg in a baking dish. <laughs> it was like a baked egg dish. Eh? It was, um, it was interesting. It was one of the only things that I ate that I didn't necessarily like that my auntie cooked me. Mm, It wasn't that great. It was just eggs. Like it was just baked egg. I don't know what it was meant to taste like, 
Because I'd never had a quiche before. Because we just ate like whatever she cooked generally. Admittedly, like there was a stage in my life where I was quite picky and she had to cook me like chicken schnitzels and stuff. But for the most part, like what kid isn't picky? You know, a lot of kids are. Um, yeah. For the most part, we just ate what she ate. Because we didn't have a choice really too. She didn't really give you one. Well, she did, you know. I remember when we got a deep fryer actually and all my brother and I used to do was just like buy those prawn crackers and just eat heaps of prawn crackers because we would fry them in our little deep fryer and make prawn crackers and eat spring rolls and like chips and wedges. Yeah. I remember I ate a whole like kilo bag of wedges watching Scarface one day. Mm. And I remember recording Scarface on VHS. I don't have the VHS anymore, which I'm devastated about. But remember like on video, you had to record things if you wanted to watch that thing again. If you were like me, you couldn't you couldn't buy them. There's no way like my auntie would ever buy me. I think the 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 only movie she bought us was like Shrek. <laughs> on VHS and that was PG. That was like too extreme, but anything above that, like my brother and I, we would have to like source through other ways of getting via staying up late and um, recording it. I remember watching my brother used to record just all of it with the ads, but I would stay there, watch it, record it, pause it, and then put it back on before the ad, you know, try and time it so it was on there. So sometimes you'd be watching a movie and then it would like, it's so strange, like remembering this as well. Like you used to watch at a mate's place. You'd be like, oh, bro, I recorded Scarface. Like, do you want to watch it? It's like, yeah, 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 let's watch it. And you'd put it on and like it would say, it would come up with the, the classification at the start of the movie and then it would roll. And then halfway through, you'd get like an electro dry ad <laughs> halfway through it and then it'd skip back or it'd like come up with like, you know, the 10 o'clock, the 10.30 news coming up after this <laughs> and like now Scarface, you know. So interesting looking back, like that's what TV looked like back then. And now it's just like, boop, click it on Netflix. There's a button on most... TV controls off Netflix now and YouTube as well. Like YouTube has a button on your control, you know? Anyway, we'll talk about that more nostalgic stuff later on, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to wrap it up with, um, I just wanted to wrap it up. So I'm just adjusting my chair. Um, yeah, that's it. We'll just wrap it up from there, right? Eh? That's enough. That's enough talking about that kind of weird food culture. Yeah, I will leave it at that. If you if you liked today's episode, feel free to to like it on all the platforms it's available, which is Spotify, Google, Apple. Heaps more. <laughs> Heaps more. Um, you can even listen to it on this where I make it. I make it on Anchor. Anchor. 
and you can listen to it there as well. That's it's a really good platform. If you're ever thinking of starting a podcast, I think Anchor Anchor is a really good place to start. So shout out Anchor. It's um you don't have to pay me for that. Not like anyone does pay me for this, but you don't have to pay me for that one. But um hey, I got a, I got a positive review on on Apple. I just I had to look up how to look at my reviews on Apple. I don't really know how to look it up, but I seen it through my son's uh, iPad. I found um, a review on there. So shout out Erilla. Thanks for um, thanks for the five star review, mate. I appreciate that. Um, and that's it. Just just go and leave another five star review. Anyone else listen to this on Apple or, or Google or wherever you listen to this? Subscribe it on pod, on on podcasts. I mean on Spotify, and um, you can follow this this whole journey on Instagram at My Mind Podcast with no vowels. And if you want any more shameless pugs, I'll happily do another one now. If you've got a question or you want to tell me what your biggest fusion confusion thing that you've seen feel free to um, email me at mymindpodcast at gmail.com and I will personally tell you how crazy I think it is or fair or on air. How about that? Anyway, happy new year. Enjoy that food for thought.